But listen, not all Asian dictators are bad. Justin's son is benevolent, according to Adam. <laughs> and <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. You're listening to our Friday flagship. This is our Crypto News Weekly episode. My name is Kareem Baruch. I'm here with my co-hosts, Brent Philbin. What is going on? And Adam Levy. Hello, hello. And of course, you may have noticed that we missed Thanksgiving. Everybody was spread out and joined the family. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. I made my sweet potato crunch and it uh, came out pretty good. And uh, yeah, I was stuffed for days. What is a sweet potato crunch? Hold on. It's uh, instead of you know putting marshmallows on top, which I feel like are overrated, you make like a like a caramel glaze almost and with walnuts crunched up like yeah the walnuts get chopped up and uh kind of just glazes all together with brown sugar and it's magnificent wow that sounds amazing so sweet hold, potato on, hold on is like I have one of my favorite foods by the way sweet potatoes why would you not just add marshmallows to that that seems like it makes it strictly because he says I mean, marshmallows are overrated and it's pure sugar and he added maple and walnuts i like your recipe adam thanks it's a it's a levy family recipe brent it yeah. passed down through yeah. the ages. Adam, also, Brenton says that about everything. Like, we'll go get a salad, and he's like, why don't you add marshmallows to this? You just make it better. <laughs> I mean... You know what? You're not wrong. I've never put marshmallows in a salad, but I'm pretty sure they make it better. I'm kind of interested on that. That seems like an interesting <laughs> texture. So, guys, we usually start the show, of course, with our rapid-fire section. These are news headlines that we saw, we think are worth mentioning. We're not going to dive in depth. And of course, our rapid fire master is Adam Levy. Adam, what do you got for us this week? All right. Well, we're starting off in uh, the state of peaches or, you know, ah, man, blowing it. No, it is. Yes. Oh, sorry. It's the peach state. There we go. That's what I meant to say. So, yeah, Georgia governor. Uh, appoints the backed CEO, the, you know, B-A-K-K-T, popped up a lot on here in the past, and it's been pretty big um, recently in the news. The CEO, Kelly Loeffler, as the new U.S. senator for the state. And, uh, I mean, I didn't actually realize that senators could just be appointed. Like, you're a senator now. I thought it was more of like, you know, of to kind of... No, it definitely is usually by election... There's like special rules of succession when somebody doesn't finish their term. Like if somebody has to step down or if somebody dies or whatever. And then there are also special elections. Uh, I, I think it all depends on state law. I'm not that familiar, but my guess is somebody stepped down. Okay. And this is like a temporary, right. this is who's filling in. Yeah, until I the didn't next know round. either. I was like, you can just kind of say you're a senator now. Like there's not like if the president steps well, down. You can't just appoint a new president. <laughs> like, well, what you're explaining, what you're explaining is yeah, like fair, but what it says in the article is where it gets a little more confusing in what you just with what you just said because it says uh, so. It's I think it was Johnny Isaacson who they're going to fill Johnny Isaacson's seat, who's the current senator. Oh, actually, I guess I see what you're saying. Is that so? Basically, she will take office in January first, twenty twenty. His term ends January twenty twenty three. But if she intends to serve past January 2021, she has to run for election there the next go. year. There. Right. So basically, when, when the senator steps down, you have a special election, but you can't just have an election overnight, right? The election might be in a year, it might be in six months. You need somebody to serve during that term. And there's usually specific like laws that determine who can essentially assign that spot in the interim. Yeah, so this is where it kind of gets a little more interest. Or it was already interesting. What am I talking about? This has been a blast. So she is pro-Trump in favor of his border wall, the Second Amendment, and against abortion and socialism. But she did not address crypto or Bitcoin in her introductory remarks. But she also was not the senator that Trump wanted to be in the in the seat, which I think is why she emphasized all that stuff. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. You get your Republican votes. <laughs> like, yeah. Trump said you're bad. You got to say you agree with him. It is interesting to me that uh, the backed CEO is 
very much a, a right, like a, a conservative. Well, it makes I guess that makes sense, conservative. But it seems very right. Yeah, bro. Even <laughs> almost every corporate CEO or whatever is definitely financially conservative. Yeah. There might be some social liberalism there. Like, yeah, you know, everybody's cool. I like gays, but economics, they're all conservatives. Against abortion, too, and all these things that are just, yeah, you know. I mean, she was appointed expected. in Georgia. Georgia, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, yeah. but like she also, I mean, the BACT isn't exactly, you know, uh, that's not just like a, a state. In, I guess she might be just saying it. That's the point. Exactly. Like it, it's just a cultural issue that gives her credibility in the Republican Party because she'll likely not have to do that much about abortion. I'm sure some abortion bill will come up, I guess. But yeah. And uh, so the current COO of uh, BACT and former Coinbase exec Adam White will most likely be the successor at BACT for this the top position. And moving on, Dwight Schrute, real name Arane Wilson. He, oh, oh, Brent, you're just a disgrace. You just choose the Mandalorian over the office time and time again. So good. So he actually did a video with the Mona Foundation. And Mona Foundation is actually a charity that basically tries to get funding for any student or any anyone like for children to be educated in countries where it's a lot tougher to just find a school, you know, or they're just, yeah, there's just, it's just, there isn't funding for that. And now this is different than the Mona coin. What? Oh yeah. (laughs) I kind of assumed this was Mona coin. Yeah. So this is not, I I actually assumed that as well. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. So Mona coin is, has there ever been a a one-on-one done on it? Done on it? Mm, uh, I think we mentioned it when we were talking about meme coins. But I we never did a one on one uh, on Mona Coin. No, yeah, it, it's a Japanese coin, and then Mo, Mona Foundation has actually been around for twenty years, and they basically yeah. So they're just going. They go around the world with grassroots initiatives to educate all children and women and everyone that like they possibly can with uh, funding. So Rain Wilson did a video saying, "Hey, donate to this. It's a good cause. You can now donate Bitcoin." Uh, and then he kind of trolls us a little bit. It's a funny minute video. You should watch it. He, he refers to, uh, he says, uh, Bitcoin's, you know, like like Mark Cuban said, Bitcoin's more useless than bananas. So you might as well donate your bananas to, you know, the Mona Does he do it as Dwight Schrute or as Ryan Wilson? No, as Rain, Wil- Rain, yeah, Rain Wilson. Wilson sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're confusing him with Ryan Johnson, who spells his name in that in that way. Also, Interesting fact about Rain Who? Wilson. He was. Yeah, exactly. uh, I was not confusing him with that. I was just mispronouncing the name. But continue, Brett. <laughs> interesting fact: he was in he was in Star Trek Discovery. He played an awesome character. He played Harry Mudd, and he did an awesome job. And he wasn't like it wasn't like necessarily a comedic role. So I don't know how many times I've seen him in non comedic roles. So it was pretty cool. Fact: He actually was in. I still haven't seen it, but he was in a, like a kind of like a fake superhero movie. And uh, I've just heard great things about it. I mean, honestly, in The Office, I think he was a fantastic actor. Uh, he grew on me every episode, and I was just very impressed by like his overall skills uh, to play the role flawlessly. So the next, we're, mo- we're moving to Italy. Actually, you know Alex Dreyfus, Brent? Have you heard? You know, he used to do the GPI. And uh, basically, in poker, there was this guy who was very involved, owned a lot of different businesses in poker. One of them was the Global Poker Index. They bought the Hendon Mob, which is like basically these are poker result you know, like, tracking. Yeah. Like it's how you rank poker players. Yeah. Yeah. And so Alex Dreyfus, I'd say a few years ago, he kind of just saw the crypto gold rush and he moved on to something else. And now he has a company called Socios, S O C I O S. And Essentially, you can buy these fan tokens, which are the socio coin, and you can use those with certain. I think it's only in soccer right now, but you can use it like for this one. They made a video about how you can choose, you can vote on what dance the Juventus players, Juventus is a soccer team in Italy, what dance they can do when they score a goal. So, well, you know, like. It's, <laughs> It's kind of like, it's kind of hilarious. We can get up there with like Fortnite dances and be like, "All right, you got to do the one where you 
put your fist in the air and your foot moves with your fist? Sure. You can choose like five different ones, I think, you know, like they're not like, hey, just choose any dance. Do the Macarena. You have to do that one. And that one gets the most votes. Like that's where I you pretty much let... only vote for the floss for the floss. Yeah. yeah. Don't really know what that is, but I've heard of it. But don't well, you really. Do. I mean, I'm sure I do, but I also don't care and probably don't want to see it again if it has anything to do with Fortnite uh, dancing because it's like 12-year-olds everywhere have to do it on every single Jumbotron in America whenever they're on, you know. It goes like, deeper than that, Adam. Dance. What? It goes deeper than that. I'm telling you from like when I was running the escape rooms, when I was like actually doing them, 100% of 12-year-old kids, 100% of the puzzles that they solved they did a Fortnite dance. They just what? stopped doing what they were doing and did a Fortnite dance. That's I don't understand how all of them, one, know how to do it, and two, all of them do it at random intervals. I don't know. It's very it doesn't say, What do you mean random intervals? They do it at points of success based on your description. That was the opposite yes. of random. Okay, you're right. Literally when they solved the puzzle. Fortnite wow. dancing is Connected. the start of social programming for 12-year-olds, and now whenever <laughs> there's a Fortnite dance, it's like a great time to, you know... Get some subliminal. I don't know. I'm going off the deep end. So what here. we're saying is a previous poker guy is trying to control the minds of an entire football team with Fortnite dances. Got it. Yep. Uh, so Binance, actually, this was a because uh, we you know had a week break. This one was from close to two weeks ago. They made a deal in India. They bought or acquired Wazir X W A Z I R. Capital X, which is a an Indian cryptocurrency with uh, over 200k users, and now they can actually launch multiple fiat to crypto gateways, allowing traders to use the Indian rupee. And this, I mean, we just don't hear much about crypto in India, like very seldom. Well, and it's, this is it's good. kind of illegal there. I, I if I understood it the last time we talked about it, yeah, at, at least they don't want the bank great stuff. Yeah, 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 and don't forget, India also like they did some radical stuff. Remember, they're the ones that like one day they woke up and they had eliminated the the biggest denomination notes. Like a bunch of people just lost money because they just made it. Like imagine you wake up and hundred dollar bills are no longer accepted. So every hundred dollar bill you have is worth zero. You couldn't trade it in or anything. I don't remember all the specifics, so I don't want to say on the podcast without remembering. It, I'm blanking out, but I remember like. It was quick, at least relatively quick. It could have been like drastic overnight. I don't remember. Okay. Well, we're going to shift a little uh, more tropical. Actually, Brent, are you, uh, aren't you? are you going to uh, Thailand soon? Are you in Thailand? Uh, we are going. I'm not currently in Thailand. We are going in April. We're going to be there for the Thai New Year, which is called Zonklan. And they, uh, what they do is the entire country has a water gun fight for like three days. And it looks amazing. That sounds so much fun. You travel, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Size, JJ? Well, actually, this is a great lead-in because they are putting visas on the blockchain. Thailand is. And basically, you can now uh, sign up. You don't have to go to some office or whatever. You can just sign up online to uh, streamline entry into the country. Hopefully, it'll boost tourism. And it's an Aussie startup called sharing which will provide its blockchain tech and enable tons of tourists to apply securely for a travel visa yeah i don't remember having to do any visa work there we just kind of got stamped right let me double check but i think this uh, is more for but anyway just because Chinese. We, yeah uh, like if you're american your passport gets you in almost everywhere that doesn't mean that the country doesn't issue right right, right. Okay, it was an, yeah it's yeah it says initially it's initially targeting tourists from china and india and they get around two million chinese tourists each year which require visas so, so yeah as a quick side note i remember a couple of days ago on reddit there was an infographic there's a subreddit called data is beautiful i don't know if you guys have seen it they just put like whatever all kinds of data in interesting uh visual displays but it was showing the power of the passport like plotting it on a chart along with like average income for the country. And you could just see how basically like if you're from Luxembourg or America or Canada or Germany, you could go almost anywhere in the world and you have no problem. And you have all these other countries that sometimes it's just so hard for them to even get in a country. Like Colombians, I, I, I can speak for experience. 
it's very hard for some Colombians to get in here. Like just U.S. visas are not easily handed out. So imagine even if you have the money or even if you want to, like you just don't have access because of where you're from. Yeah. Also, just want to give a quick shout out to friend of the podcast, Brandon Reese. He's uh, he's actually got a visa and he's going to India for a few weeks. And yeah, he's just traveling, doing that thing and being a tourist. Yeah. And it's just great. He he's honestly he's really utilized the the passport to its full uh, power. He was he, <laughs> they drove across South America, went to Colombia, like you just stated, and uh, you know it really is cool how far you can go when you just have. I mean, I guess specifically a U.S. passport is pretty cool. How far did we go on this day last year, Green? Um, <laughs> the other side of the world. Yep, we did. Man, I wish that conference was still around. Yeah, the on blocks. Yeah, yeah, they they were the only ones. I, I don't know, not the only ones, but they were a very good conference, run very well by people who were not dumb. But the problem is, they weren't like taking scam money from ICOs, so of course they went bankrupt. So they are no longer putting on conferences, which is unfortunate. But they, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I don't even know if bankrupt's the right word, right? Because he wasn't even. Oh, yeah, they, money yeah, they, he just like it just stopped making sense to keep running it. He was losing yeah, too much money yeah, that's anymore. true. It's not like they owed anybody money or anything. Yeah, they just closed up shop. So, yep, that was where we were last year. That's the rapid fire. And uh, Brent, would you like to tell us about why Wild Foods is so fucking awesome? Uh, yeah, Wild Wild Foods is pretty awesome. They are still the sponsor of the show, and you can use the code. CryptoBasic12 on wildfoods.co to get 12% off your order. We we did say that people hadn't used it before. We were wrong. It has been used. So people have told Wild Foods that we were sent there or they were sent there by us. And if you're interested in what they are, you can check out the website. But the quick version is they a lot of single ingredients, a lot of really painstakingly sourced origin stuff. So a lot of fair trade, coffee, uh, teas. All kinds of cocoa butter, fish oil. They even their fish oil manufacturer is really cool. You can look into all that on the website, and I think they're doing dollar shipping for the entirety of December. They didn't have free shipping before, so it's a dollar shipping now, and you can uh, you can get your stuff there. A quick pro tip: the matcha tins are a cool little holiday gift. They're these little like round matcha tins. They look nice and cool and impressive. And I feel like if somebody gets it as like a stocking stuffer or something, they're like, oh, man, this is sweet. So <laughs> Nice. Cool. All right. That's it for Wild Foods. Now, I think it's time for Kareem to talk. Uh, all of us. The, all of us. This is the big story of the week, in my opinion. But Kareem is the one who did the deep dive. It's time to talk about what happened with Virgil and North Korea. Yep. So this was an interesting story. I got I got this. I mean, we heard about this last week about this Ethereum developer getting arrested for helping North Korea with evading sanctions and money laundering. So there was a story um, that was trying to break down and analyze. All right, so who is this guy? What was he really doing? What's he being accused of? So the <laughs> the article starts with the question, is Virgil Griffith, who's the guy in question, is he some kind of criminal helping them evade sanctions? Is he a kind of unfortunate hacker that got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or is he just like an unofficial Dennis Rodman style liaison <laughs> to North Korea? Yeah, Dennis uh, Rodman was such a good liaison. I'm, so, I'm <laughs> upset that he's been replaced. Double agent. <laughs> so on November 28th, this is when he was arrested at the LA airport. And kind of sucks for the guy because he doesn't live in the United States. He actually lives in Singapore. So he apparently was in the U.S. either for holidays or something like that. So that was, uh, you know, I'm sure he regrets that trip. But anyway, (laughs) the trip that he made to North Korea that he was arrested for in November actually happened in April of this year. So that's when he actually went to the cryptocurrency conference in North Korea. According to the Southern District of New York, which is the Department of Justice arm that's basically handling this case, he allegedly went to North Korea to describe how they could use blockchain and other type of crypto to launder money and evade U.S. sanctions. Specifically, what they're charging him with from a criminal perspective is that 
his presentation was essentially what would be called as a transfer of technology. And that violated the International Emergency Economic Powers Act and the Executive Order 13466. Long story short, those are the U.S. laws that basically say Americans are not allowed to export any goods, services, or technology to the People's Republic of Korea without a special license from the Department of the Treasury. Okay? So Can I interrupt real quick? Absolutely. I happen to get a news blip on my other screen. Breaking North Korean news, just as we're continuing. (laughs) (laughs) North Korea threatens to resume calling Trump a dotard is the actual name. I'm sorry. I just had to say that. It was legit. Like, it just happened. Continue with your North Korean experience. Breaking news. Breaking news, guys. Breaking news. Lucky for you all listening to the crypto base. We have the pulse in the world news. Uh, thanks to our reporter on the field. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, no, 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 it's all good. So move. the question, guys, was who is this guy really? There's he's got an interesting background. He originally gained a little bit of notoriety because he developed a program called Wiki Scanner, and Wiki Scanner, what it would essentially do is it would look at all the anonymous edits on Wikipedia. And it was able to match IP addresses to publicly registered or publicly known IT addresses to know which companies were doing edits on Wikipedia. So it was essentially to like trace when a company is manipulating their Wikipedia entries. So a good example of this was Wikiscanner was used to show that Exxon, for example, was doing massive edits on their Wikipedia entry to control the narrative on the oil spill. Ah. So he also in 2003 was sued by an education software company called Blackboard, and they sued him in order to prevent him from presenting research that was showing that they had security flaws in their system. In 2006, he wrote a paper showing how easy it is to figure out people's mother's maiden name. And the whole point of the paper was to say, you should not use this as a security question because all you need is public records to crack it. Uh, (laughs) And in 2014, the guy earned his PhD in computation and neural systems. And that's when he moved to Silicon Valley. And that's when he started working as a scientist for Ethereum. So now back to the criminal complaint that gives us a little bit more details, just to wrap it up and we can open it up for discussion. The criminal complaint itself says that the organizer of the cryptocurrency conference in North Korea was the one that told him to push and talk about the money laundering and the sanctions because that's what's going to interest the North Korean audience. And in his blockchain that was titled Blockchain and Peace, in his lecture, sorry, he talked about blockchain being used to achieve independence from the global banking system. So for those of us wondering, wait a minute, what did he get up there and say, okay, here's how you can launder money? No, it was couched in these terms apparently, but still it's being interpreted. But here's the part that really sucks, because as I was reading this, I really empathize with this dude. And I I think I still do. I'm not necessarily questioning, you know, but this part is kind of digging your own hole. He knew that this was a violation of sanctions, and he asked the State Department for the license, and he was denied. And he just went around it by traveling through China. So he had already as an American citizen, filed paperwork with the State Department, gotten denied and been like, well, fuck that. And he tweeted a photo of his visa and said, uh, visa to North Korea fixed without passport number. (laughs) And (laughs) right, right, like this, also when he was going to North Korea, he apparently tweeted at one of the spank chain advisors or models and was like, you want to go to North Korea with me or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and What's up, bro? I got a flight to North Korea. How you doing? <laughs> uh, and then uh, lastly, after the trip, so uh, allegedly he talked to an FBI agent and he allowed the authorities to go through his phone. So now I don't know if that means he was stopped somewhere and had really no choice or if he was like, oh, I have nothing to hide. And then they found something incriminating. Which is um, why but that's where we are. So never far. say you have nothing to hide. My, and I'm, it sounds like this guy is not one of those guys. So. I suspect uh, it was forceful. I don't know. That's just a yeah. 
yeah, speculation. Like based on what he's saying and how he's he's like, don't use a major name. Like all the stuff that he's doing, it sounds like he probably valued his privacy enough not to hand over his phone. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's more or less the story, guys. That's where we are right now. Of course, we'll see. There's going to be legal battle uh, right now. He's in jail, but uh, he was given bail. So once he posts, he'll be able to. You know, I'm sure he's going to fight this. The Ethereum Foundation, I'm pretty sure, distanced themselves from this situation. They're like, hey, he did this on his own time. Uh, this has nothing to do with the foundation. Right. Ethereum Foundation definitely. But Vitalik uh, clearly supported him. Really? I didn't yeah, see that. Vitalik said that he supported what he tried to do. Uh, you know, not as part of the Ethereum Foundation, but he said, like, Virgil's my friend. And I, I you know, I, I think that he was doing the right thing. Uh, opposite side of the spectrum, I was reading also a pretty cool tweet string from Laura Shin where she's saying some of this stuff doesn't add up, uh, more or less, because if Virgil was going to go give a talk about blockchain to the Korean North Korean people, and that's what it was, it was there to like help educate the people, he would have had to start with what is the internet, because he can't just tell them what blockchain is, because they don't know what the internet is. So it was like, it, that's one of the things that didn't, add, didn't add up entirely about the story, so it had to be state-sanctioned, and he had to probably be talking to only high-level like aristocrats in North Korea if he was actually talking about blockchain, since yeah. almost nobody knows what the internet is. I thought, I mean, I get what she's saying, but I thought that part was taken for granted. Like, if you're going to North Korea to give a talk, it's definitely state-sanctioned. Like, wh- what? Yeah, kind of- I would assume that the people in there are going to understand what the internet is just while listening to a talk. It's not just like talking to a random people that are you know dude in yeah if we forget about even them knowing the internet <laughs> what westerner can go into north korea to give a talk to random people about whatever they want right well, but literally that's no one kind of how it's being presented like he's saying that they wanted to open up blockchain to the rest of the world and help north koreans when what we're what we're seeing is based on the way north korea is run that almost couldn't be the case I'm like, I'm like vetoing this line of path. Let's just talk. Like it's just this just seems like I don't I don't I don't really think that that is like yeah the people that they're talking to know the internet they like it's a, it's at a talk it's at a conference right it wasn't right. just like hey I'm going here and like I'm gonna panhandle and talk to it's random the people North Korean talking. elite yeah I can't yeah. agree with Adam it's yeah. that part's taken for granted I think like but, so the question is but here's the question actually the, the real question is. Okay, so it is the North Korean elite. How do we feel about his actions, right? Because at the end of the day, I think there's an argument to be made in both directions. He's a U.S. citizen, and U.S. sanctions are designed with, you know, specific foreign policy goals that, whether or not we agree, they're within the laws which we live by. And on the other hand, uh, it feels like it shouldn't be a crime to teach people anywhere, regardless of their status, essentially open source technology, too, you know, like... Ethereum and Bitcoin are kind of. I, I disagree with this charge of sharing technology. Like, it's a public blockchain. It's right. a public blockchain. But and all the information to do it is public. You can't just listen. If ignorance is a thing, like I obviously you still technically did it. So I guess it's like kind of like I, I can sympathize a little bit more with saying I was ignorant. I didn't know about this. But if you ask a state official. Or, you know, uh, what, like the ask the FBI, whatever it was technically. And then you still go through with it, U.S. State Department. And then you still go through with it. Like you've kind of reaped what you sow. Even if it's like, you know, yeah, maybe technically there's like some sort of, I just don't really understand why you would still go through with it after going out. It's not easy to ask a U, the U.S. State Department something. You have to go out of your way to do that. You have to probably wait on, like, you can't just call in someone, wait on hold for an hour, probably. It's probably a lot more complicated than that. It's also possible to agree that it was acceptable morally or whatever, but also know that he completely violated the law. Like, I'm thinking even if he didn't specifically get denied, I would still think, okay, like, this is on you, dude. You knew what you were doing, and you went to North Korea. That's a risk you were taking, even, even if I agreed that spreading the knowledge of blockchain was worth doing. I can still agree that the person's in jail and I can do the other. You can do the other thing too. You can say that somebody shouldn't be in jail, even if you don't agree with what they did. 
like like OJ, like OJ Simpson, when he got over sentenced for something dumb, I disagreed with the over sentencing, even though I think the guy should have been in jail for life because he killed his his wife. Right. And and the other thing to say here is it's not just a matter of oh, it's the law, so you have to follow the law because I can definitely sympathize with the argument that some laws are unfair laws or unjust laws. And there's been, there is a history of public demonstration or violating a law which you disagree with, but it tends to have a different angle, right? And the person tends to make it clear that they are doing this because, yeah, and in this case, it sounds like, I mean, it's unfortunate social media gets people a lot, but like here, if you're just like tweeting about like, hi, look, I... I got my visa, didn't even need my passport number, uh, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, um, yeah, at the end of the day, you're breaking a law. It doesn't really sound like you're making a statement. You just, I don't know if he was paid to go to this conference. Maybe he was, you know, and it's short-sighted in that case, even though, but his history makes me think that I align with a lot of his ideals, you know, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a stupid move. Yeah. Also very important to add, I just found a picture of him uh, graduating from uh, college uh, and he's wearing a Google Glass with <laughs> his in his graduation gown and everything. And I have no sympathy for anyone wearing Google Glass. Come on, you tried to make it a thing forever ago. You're wearing it to your, to your graduation. What, what are you trying to prove here, man? But no, on the real... I do think that this is like a murky situation. Uh, I'm leaning towards like he kind of, you know, he he knew what he was doing. Like he was cognizant of it, clearly. And uh, obviously, I don't want him to necessarily like go to jail for, you know, prison for life or something ridiculous for this. Like there should be some sort of discussion. Maybe they meet in the middle somewhere. But he definitely violated, you know, U.S. sanctions. Yeah. Yeah. And one last thing I'll say about it is there are signals about the magnitude of the issue. You know, like when you when you are part of a world or a system, you should more or less be aware of where you're operating. And here. I mean, number one, you're going to North Korea, not like not like a random, tiny, maybe island dictatorship somewhere that literally nobody cares about. No, it's like one of the primary antagonists. Yeah. Public (laughs) enemy number one of your country for like the last 20 years. And second, you're in a space that's notorious for the regulation problems, the anti-money laundering problems, the government's probably looking for people to make an example out of. So like, unless you're really taking a moral stance, if this is just like, ah, whatever, or like, ah, I'm going to get paid or whatever, then I think it's a really dumb risk. And the moral stance, again, is a little bit possibly dubious because of the, because the approval process and because of the way North Korea works, it's more likely that he was helping the North Korean regime 100% and the people 0% than it is that he was even helping the people 2% versus the regime 98%. Well, yeah, okay, but the the defense of the moral stand in that case, I think, is that he could argue that just the Korean elite are still people and actually that the sanctions are hurting the people and that the more that the North Korean economy can be an economy that can interact with the rest of the world that that would somehow but i mean i i agree with you but this is what i'm saying like it doesn't really doesn't really indicate that he was taking a moral stance really it was more like he seems to not care anyway we'll get to hear his case though so i i don't want to harsh judge too much here because this is all yeah everything's speculation over the whole course of the week there just isn't enough information here Everything about North Korea is speculation completely. The the stories that you hear coming out of there when people actually get out are amazing. I, one of the anecdotes that was on this thread, you know, everybody's lied to in their entire lives in North Korea. But one person figured out that the state was lying to them about how South Korea is so evil and poor and terrible and you don't want to go there because they showed some propaganda video of South Korean scientists developing nuclear weapons or something like that. And the guy had a ballpoint pen in his front pocket. And that was considered such a luxury item that the North Korean government had to be lying because there's no way citizens that were unhappy and poor could carry around a ballpoint pen in their pocket. It was like insane. So uh, and and there's even stories of like a defector that went to South Korea to like they knew they were just going there for like a trip. They were like, look, I'm going to come here, see all these shitty people and see how bad they live and then come back home. And then as they saw a dog eating rice and they were like, holy crap, how can a dog eat rice? That's insane. 
rice is like such a huge luxury for us and they've right. stayed dude and then <laughs> i'll just mention this story because you're talking about north korea stories he kidnapped a movie director from south korea <laughs> yeah, a famous <laughs> one and forced him to direct movies for him and the only way the guy was able to escape was by convincing him that he was going to go around the world promoting the north korean film industry and then when he finally let him out of the country he was like oh my god thank god i'm out of here <laughs> <laughs> brutal brutal yeah so no, that I mean, sounds like the plot definitely no, of a uh, terrible for movie. helping king jong-un yeah it's like it's like what are we gonna do let's kidnap the most famous movie director of our opponent but listen not all asian dictators are bad justin sun is benevolent according to adam <laughs> and <laughs> uh adam talk to us about uh his benevolence and his uh judgment Oh, God, I have to just reiterate, I am not a Justin Fun Moonboy <laughs> fanboy. Uh, they just like Justin to, Fun, you even have you your guys, nickname You guys foisted this upon me. You guys are foisters, and you just said, hey, what, you've never watched the Kirby Enthusiasm? Oh, my God, I make like a reference about a real show, and you're like, oh, nope, sorry, I only watch fake reality shows in Star Wars and Star Trek Marvel Galaxies. My bad. I don't think you uh, know what reality shows are. Uh, no, no, I know in reality. I, I did not Adam, I wanted reality. to be with you every step of that sentence, but you just <laughs> did. I say when I just zag. It did weird. I say reality shows or did I say in? I I thought I said in reality shows. I agree that Brent only watches things that have lasers. Continue. Yes. Okay. So Justin Sun, he it's, it's, this is actually kind of an interesting story. So on November 13th, he said he admitted to investing in crypto exchange Poloniex. And Poloniex is one of the earliest exchanges, or not one of the earliest, but like one of the, we'll say 2017, before things really started, like, like the, the fall, winter of it. Poloniex was seeing a lot, like was like the one you went to before Kraken was really operational or Binance even existed, you know? So uh, people definitely use Poloniex a lot. And, but since they've just kind of, they haven't really updated their, you know, their user interface was always kind of bad. They never really scaled well and people just moved on to better exchanges. So then on November 29th, Poloniex acquires Tron Network's largest decentralized <laughs> exchange. And then the deal is unknown and what financial value was generated. And um, then- Wait, before we move on, the steps of this are <laughs> Justin Sun gave Poloniex money. Then Poloniex gave Justin Sun money. All right. Just make yes. sure we're on the same page. Here. Well, yeah. right, this is super standard with the company that invested in his thing, that it was his own social media company. That he, like, <laughs> yep. He's an expert at taking money from his right pocket and putting it in his left pocket and then making a new story about it. Yeah. Continue. So now two days ago, December 3rd, or yeah, whatever. So you know who Jared Tate is? He's the CEO of Digibyte which is a coin that's been around for a bit. Uh, I think they, they had like, you know, they had their, their moment in, you know, in the crypto, you know, mainstream for a little bit. And they've kind of just been around. So he launches this tweet storm and he says, like the first one is I'm disgusted by all these Tron trolls, bots attacking me and hyping hundred percent pre-mined and completely decentralized network. Like it's the most decentralized gift from God. Now Poloniex has turned into a TRX shill factory after making off with us customer sensitive data. And then he starts listing facts and granted he did just write a book called blockchain 2035. So like part of me is like, are we like, what's, you know, is this like, Oh, by the way, check out my book. But yeah, it's always, oh, by the way, yeah, check out my book. True. If I wrote a book, I'd put that in the end of every sentence. So Dude, people run for president just so you check out their book. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not even exaggerating. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he just, then he does like, he goes into, you know, why Tron is masquerading under a flag of decentralization. Uh, talks about like, you know, how Justin Sun owns more than half of the, the TRX in circulation. And he just like goes in on tron completely he even like like he he lists stuff that we knew where tron had actually copy and pasted you know white paper from other coins and he i mean all these things are are are, are just they're just facts like he's listing them 
whatever. And then I guess Poloniex responds maybe eight hours later. We don't own any customers, U.S. customers' data, as all of them are pre- preserved by Circle, which I, I saw something was going on with Circle and Plonix. I'm not really sure what that, what the whole deal with that is. And then, It's like they launched in the U.S.-based exchange and then closed it, I think. I don't really yeah. remember. But. So then, by, and then, then the, the tweet continues, BTW, after careful review, we decided hashtag Digibyte is not qualified for a listing standard. We will delist DGB soon. Details to be announced. And then, they, wait, first of all, they wrote BTW in the tweet. Yes. Oh my! What the? That makes it even. Uh, that makes me even more mad. And it's just <laughs> That's like ridiculous. Uh, like there were and, and there are multiple people that kind of like I just saw this in my feed. Like one guy was like, "Crypto is surreal," you know, explaining how all this works, and it's just like this is just complete lack of professionalism. Actually, beyond yeah, <laughs> that's a- Alex Dreyfus was the one who who basic who actually the guy from Socios. He actually was the one who uh, how I saw this whole tweet mess and. It was just like, what is going on now? I I, I just am kind of shocked. Like, oh, you said something against us, so delisted. Bye. You, you know, it's it's one it's of those things. Weird. It's one of those things where you're almost like, what makes it worse, and you're most shocked is that the audacity to be so transparent about what they're doing, right? Because if you wanted to have even a little bit of subtlety, you would just respond and say, "Hey, we don't own any U.S. customer data." And then tomorrow or in three days, just release a thing that says, we're delisting these coins. And it could be the only one you list. And, and and that's fine. And people can try to make the connection, but you have possible deniability. No, just straight up to the Twitter thread. Oh, yeah. BT dub. Screw you. Uh, you're delisted after careful review. Oh, wow. Thank you for inadvertently admitting that your careful reviews don't mean shit. And that you just list yeah. based on payments or feuds. Absurd, man. I don't remember if we've taken any real stance on Poloniex in the past, but uh, I have an official Crypto Basic podcast stance on Poloniex. Don't fucking use them. Uh, <laughs> just based on this decision alone, you know their decision-making process is bad. Mm-hmm. And th- that means if they're ever hacked, they're going to make a bad decision on whether to pay back or not. And if they ever have security concerns, they're going to make bad decisions on what they should do with them. And that means that Poloniex is probably making horrible decisions on multiple things, and they are very likely to have something bad happen to them because exchanges get hacked. So I wouldn't touch Poloniex with a And Justin Sun is a scammer. Yeah, and Justin Sun's a piece of shit. I don't know what percentage of the company he bought, but obviously enough to be like, these people made fun of me, so cut them. Uh, that's uh, our, That's something our president would do. Also, apparently, he did. Fortunately, in the while I was looking through all the these tweets, he he even mentioned something about Binance, uh, Jared Tate, and I think I think he said that Binance uh, they own fifty six percent of the voting power on Tron Foundation, and then he started calling out CZ, and now I'm like I, I I'm I have no idea anymore, but. It's just it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but it does seem like uh, he is very on point with Poloniex, at least. I'm not really 100% sure about this. Look, I think the main lesson here is it's sometimes difficult in this space because there's so much like head to head rivalries to, quote unquote, not pick a side. Right. Because clearly this guy is right. When when we see Poloniex's response, it's so immature, so unprofessional, so corrupt that it makes this guy look fantastic. So we our brain picks a side. But. It doesn't have to like. It doesn't mean that this guy is right about anything in particular. It doesn't mean that he's right about everything. It doesn't mean that all of his attacks are valid. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have ulterior motives. All it means that we can say for sure is that Poloniex handled this like a scam project. They handled this like an unprofessional yep. institution that doesn't belong, you know, having custody over people's money. But yeah, fuck Poloniex. They're they're on the the do not. Well, I guess all exchanges are on the do not leave money in them list. But like. They're they're in the last round draft pick. If I'm leaving money anywhere now, I don't even know if I'm allowed to use them. But <laughs> whatever, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the uh, that I thought this story. Granted, I mean North Korea one is is far more serious, 
But this one, I thought was this just one's like, pretty clear cut, though. No, there's yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. of nuance in the. I North wanted to Korean cover this when I saw this tweet, by the way. But when I saw you were already covering it, so I left it alone. But I was yeah. definitely gonna. I wanted to cover this. Yeah, and uh, Kareem, now uh, you want to talk about some some trends for 2020 in the cryptocurrency space? Yeah, this is more like a fun-ish story, more or less. This was published in a uh, financial news website. It's called uh, Benzinga, and then it also got published on CFO Magazine. So it's just an idea of what financial news is communicating to financial news consumers. So I felt like it was fun to put it on here. So this, they wrote an article, the top five trends that we should expect for 2020, like the big things that are going to be shaping the space. And it's also one of those articles, though, where the <laughs> the expert it's also used as an opportunity for product placement. So we'll, <laughs> I'll show where that is very clearly. Don't worry. But it was still fun discussing. Hey, buy my book. Exactly. So, <laughs> so the guy in question is the founder of a company called Accounting, like accounting, but with a coin. A coin. Oh, boy. Yeah. And nice uh, here are the five trends that he mentions. Number one, the happening. Very important. Of course, we're going to go from 12.5 BTC per block to 6.25 BTC per block. Uh, this, Anytime we've had a happening, there's been significant price action and volatility. In 2012, in the months leading up to the halving, uh, Bitcoin was at less than $10. By the end of that, it went to more than $100. It would eventually crash, as you remember. And then in 2016, uh, it was like 400 before the happening, And by the end of the year, it had doubled. So, you know, a lot of people feel like, okay, there's going to be a decrease in supply. So price is definitely going to go up. But there's other pressures, right? This also means that mining is going to be less profitable unless the price goes up significantly, right? If the price doubles, mining would be a break-even proposition from the, the first happening to the second happening. So right. uh, that means that there might be a lot of people pulling out because it's already very competitive and we might see the hash rate adjust. So we don't really know what's going to happen. But one of the things that we can expect is lots of volatility and lots of speculation around the happening of Bitcoin. So that's number one. Number two, big event of the year, according to this guy for 2020, is going to be the entrance of Libra with their stated goal of coming into the game by the summer of 2020. If they ever get there, we've covered plenty on this show how much trouble they've had. As a quick side note, this is kind of gross. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. I found out that there was a story a couple of weeks ago about how Mark Zuckerberg secretly met with Donald Trump, and we didn't know about that story until recently, and they haven't really mentioned what people are discussing. And this is not like an anti-Trump thing. This is like a anti these power circles, how incestuous they are. It's so gross, right? Well, Number one, that Facebook came up with a policy that they're not going to interfere in any political ads, right? Like you can lie in political ads. That's their new rule. Now, I just found out too that the Kushner family is one of the major backers of Libra, financial backers. Like they're involved in it too. So you just have this kind of, I hate, it's the only word I can think of. It's just this oligarchic. And I was thinking about it, guys, and it makes sense. You know, there's only 600 billionaires in the US. Like once you get into those circles, like you probably do business with each other, you know each other. It's just, it's so easy for the corruption and interaction to take place. It's just really, really gross. Anyway. In case we needed any more reasons to hate Libra. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the bottom line is that if they succeed, our personal feelings aside, this is going to be a huge deal. People that don't use crypto are going to have crypto. People, Think about it. All Facebook users are going to have quick access to a cryptocurrency that's not backed by any government. Boomers, uh, non-tech savvy people. I mean, it, it really expands the market in a way that we haven't seen yet, I think. Big trend number three, according uh, to this article, the Fed's getting in the game more seriously. We've already heard from Jerome Powell that the Federal Reserve has in fact been exploring the potential of a digital dollar at some point. And also the IRS has clarified a lot more what their expectations are for tax season. So we see that, you know, we're now officially in that chapter of the game where the governments are regulating, creating their own blockchains, participating, etc. That this is where we are now. And 2020 is probably really going to show it. Uh, the fourth trend, market consolidation. 
Even as we've seen prices drop in 2019, the total number of cryptocurrencies went past 2,300. <laughs> so Jesus. Now, of course, as you guys know, less than a third of those have more than $100,000 a day in trading volume. So a lot of these are dormant, tiny, scammy, whatever. A um, lot are just on like Bitcoin talk in, in just like still very early phases, but they like probably count. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tons of them are. And tons of them, you know, also have no future. They're going to be in the phase that they're going to be with forever because the only phase they ever planned was fundraising. <laughs> yeah. But the bottom line is that in 2020, they expect to see as all of this regulation kicks in, we're going to have more transparency from the big players. We're going to have more big players participating. So a lot of like the bottom level riff raffy, shady stuff might start disappearing and we might see consolidation around a couple of bigger projects. And then here's the last one. This is where you can tell if you're ever reading one of these articles that it's product placement because the last one is like, oh, crypto and fintech are going to hook up. And then they don't really specify it, but they're just like, when we asked him about how he created a coin he was like, it's pretty simple. There wasn't a solution for portfolio management and doing your taxes all at once. Uh, <laughs> I you love know. I love portfolio management. You just we just haven't said it very much lately on here, and it's just like <laughs> such such a breath of fresh air. Portfolio. And look, by the way, old Kareem in his Italian accent. As a, as a quick side note, I actually the product itself doesn't seem bad. I went to go look at their pricing model. It's pretty standard. They're like, oh, they let you use some portfolio features for free, and then if you wanted to do your taxes for you, you know, there's different layers. It actually does seem convenient. I'm not criticizing it necessarily. It It's like the more transactions you do, the more money they charge you. And they have a couple of countries in there. Uh, so it's not terrible. I just, I'm not necessarily a big fan of this new trend where uh, product, like advertisements are disguised as articles. I would prefer just to be more direct. But in this case, he did provide some general outlook into 2020. I think the, the trends are valid. Uh, so I thought I'd share. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be more blurring of the lines between like actual articles and journalism and, uh, and ads in the future. <laughs> it's just getting worse and worse, but I don't know if that's any better than consolidating behind two or three media conglomerates. I, I do not know the answer to that. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I just had a random thought that's maybe it doesn't have to do much with all of this, but so we have so much information out there. We have so much data, content, you know, news. Do you like there's there's so many places you can get news from in a single place. Like even crypto, there's hundreds of places where you can get your news from. At some point, I would think that the best way to actually aggregate all of this will be using AI. Like a lot of the information may actually be um more solved because like we can't physically just read every single article and figure out what works and what doesn't, but the AI can on some level. So eventually maybe there might be like a daily news of like, it's something that AI has sourced or read through and been like, Oh, this is what the important news facts or like the facts of the day are. I don't know. Well, and then we'll be out of a job. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, that's, <laughs> No, and, and it's also about uh, how the, I don't know, the attention incentive structures look. Like one of the reasons we like Brave, right, is because it gives you an opportunity or there's an idea with the BAT token to go directly from attention to content creation. But our current models are all centered around advertisement. Why is Google free? Why is Facebook free? Why are all these services free? Well, it's because of you know companies that can advertise to you. You're the product. So yeah, AI could, I think AI has the problem to make, the power to make this problem better, but it's also a tool that can make this problem much, much, much worse. And yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of the, the companies are able to take there. advantage of exactly. the ones that are already bad. Exactly. So it's it's like technology is a magnifier, but the the way in which we utilize it is still a societal problem that the society has to determine. Yeah, that's fair. We are actually at uh, Brent's favorite portion of this of the uh, show. Uh, that's a scam, Brent. Do you want to talk to us about the, your favorites of 2019? 
These are not my favorite scams of 2019, Adam. These are the top hacks of 2019. Now, this does not include people who were pretending to be dead or things like that. These are specifically just hacks or at least exit scams that are still pretending to be hacks. So no Quadriga. No, Quadriga will not make this list. So we're going to start with the... We've got the top six here. And this is is from the Changely blog, which is a... uh, Changely is one of those decentralized ways to swap currencies. And it was interesting. So I I thought I would paraphrase some of this stuff and give us the cliff notes. Uh, So rounding out our top six is BitTrue. And I don't remember covering this one at all. It was a $5 million hack back in June. They had ADA and XRP stolen from them, but were able to reach out to the exchanges where the scammers sent the money and get them to freeze the funds. So they actually were able to recover almost everything that they had hacked, and they are still open and operating today. I don't know if they're in in America or anything, but their exchange status is open. Blowing that out of the water by more than 300% is the Cryptopia uh, hack. This is this is where I say like you know it's a hack, but geez, this this had to be an exit scam. So this happened in January 2019. I know it sounds like it seems like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We did cover this mostly with a lot of "I told you so's," and we still don't know how the hackers got the funds or how they got in or anything like that. That's why everybody assumes it's an inside job, maybe even a complete exit scam. As soon as it happened, the company filed for bankruptcy protection and uh, still owes its creditors. Somewhere in the realm of 2.7 million. I don't know how much. It's not like the 60 million was stolen directly from the creditors. So I don't know how much was stolen from people's accounts, but the exchange closed down. They didn't handle anything right and they go. So it's Cryptopia. Right around that same ballpark in March, $19 million was stolen from BitHum or BitThumb. Bit, BitHum. I don't know. Uh, we covered it back then. We made fun of them because the people stole EOS and XRP tokens. <laughs> so we're like, nice coins, idiots. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even the first time they were hacked. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, we were talking about North Korea earlier. The first time that BitHum got hacked was by the Lazarus hacker group that is out of North Korea. And there's thoughts that the same group hacked them this time and got it again. This exchange covered all the losses. And is still operating today. So they, I don't know what, I don't know if they're like in the black from losing all that money at the time, but they did cover those losses. But actually, you know, you just reminded me with that comment, all the North Korea stories we did earlier. Yeah, it, it also doesn't help that apparently if we can believe our, our media and reports, so many of these hacks have been the North Korean sanctioned hackers, essentially. So just kind of wanted to go back to that story and say it's even more of a screw helping them, you know, like they're not good yeah. for the space. Uh, they're anyway. Yep. They've been doing a lot of, uh, they've, we hear about the North Korean crypto hackers all the time. Now we heard about them w- well before this guy did anything. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's his fault. No, no, but, no. Yeah. But I, that's what I'm saying though. Like helping them is even more like it's, it's not only is he not good to his people, uh, North Korea and its participation in the cryptocurrency space has also been largely negative. Right. And yeah, like I said, this is almost 100% is going to be targeted towards these people rather than, you know, the general citizens, the the groups that he's talking to or the groups that are going to be involved in things like Lazarus and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. A lot of nuance there. I'm sure we'll continue covering that North Korean story. Uh and anyway, BitHum's still open and operational because they handled it correctly by covering it because it's their fault that they got hacked. Next one, almost doubling BitHum, definitely doubling Cryptopia is BitPoint. In July, they got $32 million stolen from them between Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Uh, BitPoint's claim to fame, it's a Japanese exchange, and this is where the Japanese head of the Mt. Gox uh, trustee estate sold all that Bitcoin a couple of years ago. So they promised to pay their customers back on a one-to-one basis. I cannot find any indication that that happened. Obviously, I'm not Japanese or living in Japan. So maybe if I was there, I would be more in touch with this pulse. I searched Coindesk. I searched Reddit for any information on these people actually getting their funds. And I wasn't able to find 
either the people getting them or people complaining that they had yet to get them. So I don't know where the status on this lies, but I do know that the exchange was temporarily suspended. So I would say it's probably not looking good for those that were customers of Bitpoint. And I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see if any more of that Mt. Gox funds group is on there. Yeah, because I know like that hasn't been completely paid out. But I think he sold more or less all of it. I don't know. Anyway, that's Bitpoint. And then moving on up uh, in the world, Binance was hacked back in May. We definitely covered that one. Fund is our safe, uh, you know, <laughs> standard. It was they got seven seven thousand Bitcoin from one wallet, total of seventy two hundred Bitcoin from the whole hack, uh, and we gave Binance a ton of props for being transparent at this point. I know we gave him a little bit of slops in this episode for some possible connections with Tron, but I they didn't even list Tron on the U.S. version of Binance Exchange. I think that CZ is just being very careful politically with Justin Sun. Uh, he doesn't ever praise him or tell him how cool he is or anything like that. He just doesn't attack him. Which side note, you know, being a realist, like it's not like I'm going to hate any project that Tron is able to invest in or any partnership or, you know, like we remember when we were like, why is uh horizon partnering with Pornhub when the other two right. are Verge and Tron or whatever. Right. But this shows that there's no, not the control the dominant oh we have to bow down to whatever they say and do what they say and oh we got to list them even though they're a shit coin so, so i'm fine with it whatever you're allowed to right. list uh so anyway the binance covered all the losses and they had already created a fund to handle this like the the safe fund or whatever i don't know if they created it then or it was already before but they they gave everybody their funds binance was the only one that got affected by it and the exchange is open you can see a trend here these exchanges that get hacked and actually cover the the balances Stay open and continue to make money. Like people are willing to forgive you for getting hacked because it happens to the best of us. Uh, it it's happened to two out of the three of us on this podcast. So I don't know how Adam hasn't been hacked. It's, he's been a public figure. No, way that's longer not than my. Rest of us. No, I definitely have been hacked for what it's worth. I was not hacked. I had a, a Bitcoin and a half, like in like I don't know. However, again, it just like years ago, it got sent to me uh, randomly, and I didn't like. Uh, yeah, it just like got taken at some point. Oh, so so years ago, okay, two and us. a half out of three. Kareem's Kareem's situation, I guess, is we're not considering hacking. I mean, I think I thought it was different. Like, I would feel like I got hacked if my accounts got access and stuff. That's just the terminology I would use, and my identity was stolen, which means that they okay, use my so information they... to open up financial accounts, but they never. I mean, whatever you can define it how you want. I think my ID was stolen, but I don't think I got hacked. All right. So we got two and a half. I think two and a half is a fair estimate of people who have been hacked on the show then. All right. So anyway, uh, final, the biggest one was Upbit. Uh, Upbit was 48.5 million was stolen from them. They were South Korean based exchange. All Ethereum was stolen from them. And it was fairly November. I mean, it was it was last month. So they they suspended trading and moved all their funds to cold wallets. They promised to fully compensate their users. The exchange is still down. And. If you Google Upbit, it says the most trusted crypto exchange. So I'm sure they're going to get their funds because it says right there when you Google it, the most trusted yeah, I mean, crypto exchange. What, what else you need? So, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the exchange is not still down. I'm sorry. Uh, it it was at the time of the person writing this article. I looked and their order book was functional. So I don't, and withdrawal, they had a blog from like two days ago that, the, that said Bitcoin withdrawal was open. So I don't. Again, I don't know 100% status, but it looks like these people are fine now. It looks like they are going to end up covering this and paying people out. Uh, I don't know if this is one of those situations where they're going to just try to stay afloat as long as they can and let let people withdraw. But as long as there's not a big run on them, they'll be okay. But if there is, they'll go down. I don't know. But it's pretty recent, so it's an interesting story. We'll probably end up covering that in uh, into 2020. And that's it. That's the that was the top six. There was a seventh one that the article uh, talked about, and it was an exchange hack from 2018 that apparently was 500 million or maybe earlier than that. I don't know, but it was a lot more, and I didn't read into it, so I didn't. I don't. I don't remember covering it either. So I don't know. I I feel like if there was an exchange hack that big, we would have covered it, but I didn't recognize the name. So anyway, that's that. That was a cool little article from Changely. Cool, and uh, yeah, this was a pretty fun episode i had i had fun did you guys have fun it was great we got to i talk definitely about had so much fun, fun. yes it was a blast uh and 
So, do we have any uh, mailbag or any questions? Any? No, uh, no, no, no parting thoughts yet. I mean, if you haven't listened, check out the Andreas Antonopoulos episode. It was awesome. So the we get gotten a lot of props in the community for that. Pretty proud of ourselves for being able to. to well, I guess I'm proud of these guys because I wasn't there. Well, I mean, it, the, <laughs> we basically. We should be proud of Jason for getting Antonopoulos on the show. After yes, that, yes, you yes, literally yes, can yes. just say anything to Antonopoulos and he's going to dish out interesting uh, commentary. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, you just say like, hey, and it's like 15 minutes of him talking about crypto and why it's going to be <laughs> yeah. It's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. A lot of yeah. fun. All right. And uh, yeah, we'll probably see you again before the holidays anyway. But thank you for listening. And of course, even though we didn't give any financial advice, don't forget that we are not financial advisors. So, see you next week. For Brent Philbin, Adam Levy, and Kareem Baruka, this has been the Crypto Basic Podcast. Peace. Peace.